This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, as always, joined by Alex. Salutations. We're here to recap Everton's tuna win over Sheffield Wednesday in the Carabao Cup and also to preview Saturday's clash with the reigning champions, Manchester City. Alex and I have both been very busy at work, and furthermore, there was no television coverage of the game yesterday, so regrettably, we were unable to catch the match live. However, we, of course, were able to see the highlights and whatnot, see the lineups and everything, and it seems like it was a very, I mean, it was a much-needed boost to the morale and confidence of the side um, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin got on the score sheet twice. So Alex, all in all, a pretty solid Tuesday for the Toffees. It was. I mean, you the way the scoreline at least worked out is essentially all you can ask for in any match. Get ahead early, double the lead, and stay ahead. From what I've heard, there were some shaky moments specifically in the second half. But at the end of the day, it's almost near impossible to not give any opponent at least one chance, right? So with that, it's going to happen. The, the score line's a, a positive, and it's even better the fact that Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored the two goals because those are goals that are, that are going to be really important for him moving forward and trying to continue to build his confidence. And as we all know, scoring goals is our main issue at the moment. Right. So to put two past a um, mid-table lower league side is, is not the greatest indicator of perhaps future Premier League success. However, it is nice to see Calvert-Lewin score again in his uh, hometown, I guess, and against one of his former rivals in Sheffield Wednesday, of course, being a Sheffield United boy. What did you make of the lineup? Because although we didn't really see how it played out, it was a dramatic shift, which people have been calling for for a while. Of course, the cup ties are a great chance to give um, squad players some rotation. And so we were able to see Alex Awobi come in at the 10. We saw Digibral Sidibe play right back instead of Sheamus. And then, of course, Mason Holgate played as well. From what I heard, it was Yeri Mina pretty much commanding the center half position, pretty much pulling Mason Holgate behind him, keeping him in the game. And Sidibe had a really, really nice ball into Calvert-Lewin for his first goal across uh, that that was across the front of the 18 into the opposite onto the uh, opposite side of the pitch, and Calvert-Lewin slams it home off the crossbar. A convincing finish from a player who we don't necessarily view as a a strong finisher. So I I just think it's really positive to have one of these lower league sides come in, give us a good chance to try some new things and also to get our confidence back up because we all know how badly that was needed. Yeah. So actually you missed one big name on the team sheet and that is Tom Davies. He also got the start in central midfield. Um, But it was interesting to have Dominic Calvert-Lewin start again because He's been rotating with Keane since Keane kind of became fit and got integrated into the squad. Overall, he's had more minutes, but nonetheless, um, I guess just somewhat of an interesting selection, nothing too crazy. Midfield was the most interesting piece because we had Awobi at the 10, Tom Davies and Fabian Delft behind. Now, Awobi plays at the 10 for Nigeria. I think he said himself that he's a little more comfortable there. Tom Davies, conversely, has also said he's more comfortable playing at an attacking midfield position, which kind of explains, in my mind, um, a little bit of a lack of progression in the last couple of seasons. I think that midfield was set up that way because of the lack of midfield options, specifically 
at the six or the eight because Andre Gomez, Bamin are both out. And so I think that kind of forced Tom Davies back into a deeper lying position and Awobi got to play the 10. It sounds like Awobi had a pretty good match at the 10. He provided the assist for Dominic Calvert-Lewin's second goal. Glad to see Holgate got minutes. Didn't hear much about it, but a clean sheet's a clean sheet. And then as far as Sidibe is concerned, that's pretty much what I noted was was his his cross into Dominic Calvert-Lewin for, his, for Dominic Calvert-Lewin's first goal. It was a nice kind of, well, it was probably more of a switch of play than a cross, but nonetheless, I think that's a ball that Seamus Coleman would not attempt, nor would he be able to land on the dime like that. So it's interesting. We're already seeing tweets all over the place talking about how Sidibe should be playing moving forward. I'm not sure that the shtick for for Seamus Coleman is warranted or that he should start. But nonetheless, I think that it was a really positive outing. I liked the lineup and the change to the lineup. It shows that Silva knows he has to change some things. And, and that was a good opportunity to give some of these players some time, a little bit of burn and see what they're made of in different positions, whether they're usually preferred to play there or not. Right. And I think you kind of have to take this game as as an individual game and try not to uh, draw out too many conclusions that will then move into the league. You have to look at it in isolation because of the quality of opposition. Um, We're certainly not going to see that exact same lineup against Manchester City, I wouldn't imagine. But it is good to see players like Tom Davies come back into the fray, as we've all been clamoring for, and to see Sidibe given minutes a chance to perhaps move a little closer to competing with Seamus Coleman for that starting position. Because again, just that, that position in different, those positions, that competition in those areas will only make us better as a squad when they're fighting, when you know, players breathing down your neck, you're all the more inclined to perform at your best. So um, not too much else to say about the Carabao cup. I was very disappointed that I wasn't able to watch it, of course, but these midday games during the week, man, the work schedule, it's not kind to the uh, the American fan in any way. No, it's not. I This is, you know, now with, with as you said, how busy I am at work nowadays, I don't, I'm not usually going to get the chance to even catch the match live at least. But, you know, James, before we wrap the Carabao Cup topic up, I did have one thought and I want to see what you think about it. Holgate came in at right center back. Yuri Mina stayed at left center back. Do you think that's interesting in any way because of the fact that going into the season, we could say that Michael Keane was the first center back on the team sheet, match to match, and yet in the Carabao Cup, Marco Silva chose to start Yeri Mina and rotate Michael Keane. We can probably assume that Keane will come in against City, but do you think that maybe Silva is thinking that Yeri Mina has had a better season thus uh, thus far? That's an interesting question. I think... You kind of have to just the the presence of Yeri Mina and what he offers like in the air. And honestly, I think he's probably a better passer than Michael Keane. Their partnership has been pretty solid. I think the last couple matches, there have been some question marks that have been raised about the consistency. But I I do think probably that that that's a valid point, Alex, that he, he views Yeri Mina as a higher ceiling, better performer than Michael Keane. But let's not you know talk down about Michael because he is inserting himself back into the conversation for the England squad, of course, played recently during the international break. So while it may be a slight edge to Yeri based on the performances so far this season, I wouldn't say that anyone's running away with it. And I just think probably makes more sense for Michael Keane to sit because Mason, of course, is a backup right back as well. So putting him on the right side and keeping Yeri 
on his more comfortable left position probably just makes more sense tactically. So I wouldn't read too much into it, but you have to think, just my personal opinion, I do think Yerry Mina has been better than Michael Keane so far. And it's nice to see him come into his own after having so many injuries last year. I agree with you. I guess that shows you how quick of a thought it was because I didn't even consider the fact that, okay, we're talking about two center backs, but one of them didn't play. And, you know, Holgate starting, obviously he's not going to play left. So that does make sense. And I think we can both agree that Yeramina has had the better season. But nonetheless, after a terrible loss at home last weekend, the Blues turned it around in only a handful of days with a reverse scoreline against the other Sheffield team. And we've now gotten drawn against Watford at home for the round of 16, the fourth round of the Carabao Cup. I want to say that, and this is kind of a piece leading into um, the Man City preview, but Watford was smashed 8-0 to zero against Man City last weekend. Now, that's probably more a factor of how good Man City are, but nonetheless, 8-0 to zero is a horrific scoreline. Furthermore, in this round, Arsenal are going to play Liverpool and Chelsea are going to play Man United. So that's a really positive chance to progress past the quarterfinal and into the semifinals. Yeah, it's a golden opportunity, and it's really one that the the squad of Marco Silva need to seize with both hands because we've already squandered a really favorable start to the season, playing all of the lower seat, lower tier sides, two promoted sides, and the rest of the sides that did not finish in the top half of the table. So, the fact that we've squandered that means that the cups have much more importance. We know that Everton fans are clamoring for any scrap of silverware. Even if it's just a coin, like we'll take what we can get at this point. So yeah, with with some other big sides with some some more complicated matchups, we've already beat Watford, albeit only one nail this season in the cup tie. If we're able to field a strong side, I see no reason why we can't advance to the round of eight, which will do wonders for squad morale. And I think as a fan base, we're so accustomed to going out of these competitions early, just maintaining and being able to move into what would be the quarterfinals is something that I think all fans would be happy with, even though it's really not much when you think about how much further we'd have to go to win the whole thing. Absolutely. So before we move into our second main segment, which is the Man City preview, I just have a couple of small talking points. The first one being Moyes Keen has been nominated for the Golden Boy Award. Now, that's there are only 40 nominations in general. And, and my understanding is the Golden Boy is simply just a young, very promising talent spread across the world. Um, you know, so other names naturally like DeLitt, Donnarumma, um, Jao Felix. Uh, I, I don't know why that guy's there. Um, <laughs> Jaden Sancho, et cetera. You get the point. So how does it feel to have one of the Golden Boy nominations not or nominatees? Nominees. Nominee. <laughs> there you go. It's fine. Words are hard. It's been a long week, friends. Uh, nominees in the Everton squad. It's good. And actually, I don't know if you remember this, but I believe if I'm not mistaken, that Tom Davies was also nominated either last year or the year prior. So it's good that, I mean, 40 nominees, that's a pretty wide net to cast when you're talking about all the young potential talents that are out there in Europe. But regardless, I think, you know, it, it speaks to how excited everyone was when we first signed Moise Keen and how widely regarded he is as a, as a strong, strong prospect with the potential to be world-class. And you know, you think about it, he had just come from Juventus, so had had made a really strong impression there in his first season, and now he's with us, and I think he he really views this as 
he'll view it as an opportunity to prove himself on the world stage in the biggest league in the world and show what he's capable of. So I'm excited. I think it doesn't really increase my excitement in any way because I think it, I know or I, I'm confident that he has the skill set and capabilities of being a world-class player. But as we all know, there's a lot of steps that need to be taken to get from a 19-year-old strong prospect to a 23, 24-year-old player who's regarded as world-class. Absolutely. Eloquently said. And and the last very quick note I wanted to cover before Man City preview is somewhat of a, a very, very brief loan roundup. So Jao Virginia, in his third start for Reading, made a horrendous mistake during the Carabao Cup today. A lot of their fans are very, very low on Jao Virginia. I think he he had a chance to start for them initially in the in the beginning of the season, had two pretty poor matches, has essentially been benched since, and then got to play the cup match and made another very big mistake. He's only 19 years old. I know a lot of coaches rate him very highly as a keeper, and, and we know keepers take even more time to kind of quote-unquote mature as players. But unfortunately, it doesn't seem as though that loan is going to work out long-term as we had hoped. But on the flip side, Fraser Hornby scored today. To my knowledge, that's his first goal, but don't quote me. I haven't looked at stats or anything. I just haven't seen anything in, since his move. So that's obviously good. And he's playing in the first division, which is what I kind of echoed is, is important for our players, youth players going on loan. And then finally, Nathan Broadhead for League One side Burton scored the second goal against Bournemouth to knock them out of the Carabao Cup. So while Jow Virginia is not having the best time at Reading, it's good to see the other players, you know, making their mark in their teams, at least this week. And and I hope that we continue to see more from our, our lone players. As do I, Alex. And I think you you pretty much said it all, but it is really sad specifically about Jow Virginia that he hasn't really kicked on as many has expected had expected because David Unsworth and many observers spoke very highly of his capabilities as a keeper last season playing for the U23s. It just seems like maybe his confidence is shot those types of mental errors that you that keepers are really, you know, you're the last line of defense. So any error you make is much more glaring. Whereas if a midfielder makes a bad pass and gives the ball away, that doesn't have quite the impact. So you have to have, there's a very, very small margin of error and he's got plenty of time to develop. I still think he's a really, really promising prospect, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Redding terminate his loan just because I think that there was probably some kind of clause in there when we loaned him out that he would have to play a certain number of games. And based on his early performances, it doesn't seem like Redding will view him as a, as an option moving forward. Um, you can only mess up so many times. And he's had three or four really bad mistakes early in his tenure there. The fans will turn on him and that's, that's unfortunate. But I know that there will be plenty of other suitors out there just because of how highly touted a prospect he is. Moving on now to the Manchester City preview We've got a pretty bare bones preview for you guys, but we will discuss it just because obviously, you know, they're the reigning champions, arguably the best team in the world, squad depth up the wazoo. They've got everything you could ask for. Brilliant buildup, brilliant midfield, some really good signings that they've brought in who have made an instant impact. And it's a really daunting task for Everton at Goodison on Saturday uh, afternoon. Yes, I, I hate being negative in any way because I think that you can always have hope as much as Everton lets us down when, when we have hope, there are conversely many times in which they have, they have surprised us, you know, I'll cite the end of the season, last season against all of these quote unquote big clubs. 
However, Man City is literally probably one of the only teams in the entire world in which in most cases, at least against Everton, we don't even have to waste time talking about what lineup they'll come out with because their depth, their squad depth is literally ridiculous. And so with that, they're going to be extremely dangerous. As we mentioned last weekend, they beat Watford 8-0, whereas conversely, Everton lost to Sheffield United at home 2-0, although I will absolutely confess the scoreline was was fluky. It doesn't fill us with a whole lot of confidence. I don't think anyone in the fan base will, will, will feel like we, we are, are extremely confident about this match. However, I will say that in recent seasons, Man City, for whatever reason, seems to be maybe the, the top six club in which we've performed the best against, all things considered across multiple matches. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and I think that while it is a daunting prospect to have City visiting Goodison on Saturday, we can take some solace in that we will, I think, be able to play more of our natural game against them. They're going to dominate the ball without question. They're going to create plenty of chances and probably score plenty of goals, to be frank, and I'd be shocked if we won this game. But I do think we have a chance to make it competitive, and if the crowd can really get behind the team, anything's possible. They have already lost to Norwich. Um, Norwich play a really, really fluid and attractive game, and I saw some of the highlights from that match, and they really kind of just played around City in a lot of situations and were able to counter effectively. But in regards to Everton... We know that pretty much every team that we've played so far this season has set up in a low block. And there was a great article from David Hughes, if you haven't checked it out, friend of the program, David Hughes, talking about how we've dominated every single game we've played, but it's just conceding fluky goals and losing our heads in certain moments that result in uh, what is ultimately a really poor points return so far. So I do think while it's a daunting task, this is the first game this season that we're going to play a team that actually shows some interest in attacking more than 0.5% of the time. So with that, they'll leave themselves slightly exposed. And when we're on the counter and we're running at defenders, I think that I'm excited to see how our front line is able to operate with space to work with. You know what I mean? I absolutely do. That's, That's one of the biggest issues. Well, our biggest issue as a whole has been our front line and the lack of goals being scored. And and that comes with the lack of clinical finishing and and the fact that we didn't really sign a goal scorer up front this summer. We we signed um, what happened to be a a possible 2019, 2020 golden boy. But at the end of the day, I think that when you look at Norwich's approach and, and I want it on record that day, Norwich had literally all four of their center backs injured. So they were they they were playing with essentially a third team almost, and yet they came and they beat Man City. And, and there's one factor: all you have to do watch two minutes of highlights, and you'll see there's one thing that Nor- Norwich had that Everton does not at the moment, and that is the sheer belief in themselves and the confidence and, and the willpower to fight for every second ball for 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 every contest on the pitch, and so. As corny as it sounds, the confidence is what is going to have to kind of carry us over if we're going to progress in this match and get any sort of result. Now, it's obviously a positive, as you stated, that we're going to have a whole lot more space playing against Man City. But the issue is, as we can as we can expand in our attacking football, that leaves more space behind us. 
in which Man City obviously likes to exploit. So it's a give and a take. Now, my biggest thing is it's going to be interesting to see who starts up top, and it's going to be interesting to see who starts in midfield, specifically at the 10, because Awobi started at the 10 in the cup matches we mentioned. He got an assist. Sigurdsson has been pretty lackluster thus far. Now, in my opinion, I think it's a bunch of different factors. It's not just Sigurdsson. I think it has to do with with how the players around him are playing, how the opposition has been setting up in a low block literally every week. Also paired with the fact that all we do is is move the ball to the flank and hope to cross it into a head. But it'll be interesting. And, and I think now would be a good time to kind of start talking about lineups. So I think we can agree that Jordan Pickford will start in goal. For some reason, actually, to my surprise, which we didn't talk about earlier, he's been the cup keeper so far, but that's okay. So the back line, do you see it changing at all from, from Sheffield? And that was Luca Dean, Yerry Mina, Michael Keane, and Seamus Coleman. I don't. I don't see it changing. I think Michael Keane, there's nothing from Mason Holgate's performance from what I've heard that would indicate that he deserves to retain his place in the squad when Michael Keane, although he was not great against Sheffield or even Bournemouth for that matter, I think he's just a far more complete player. And I think Yerimina and him both have probably better chemistry together. So I expect to see probably Sidibe drop for Coleman again and to see Michael Keane come back in for Holgate. So now I, I will say this. The only talking point I thought could even be possible in that was was Coleman for Sidibe. Now, I personally am 100% with you. Coleman should start over Sidibe. But, you know, Coleman is one of essentially two main players, in my opinion, that are receiving a ton of stick this season, and even actually last season, to be realistic, that in my opinion is kind of unwarranted. Do you agree with that? I think it was, from what I've seen, it's it was certainly a lot more vocal last season and there were spells when Seamus Coleman played very poorly. I think this season he's been solid. He hasn't been entirely inspiring. When you look at what Luca Dean offers down the left flank, I think Seamus is lacking a lot of that uh, ability going forward, his ability to put in effective crosses. So we've become very dependent and left heavy when we are in attack just because we're very dependent on crosses. Luca Dean good at crosses, Coleman not good at crosses that formula adds up to us playing a lot of balls in from the left-hand side and, and Seamus not being too involved. I still think that Sidibe needs more time to acclimate to the Premier League and Coleman is tried and true. He'll work hard. He'll fight for the team. And I mean, he's he's certainly capable of a glaring error here or there, and it's going to be kind of a nightmare with how he matches up with City's wingers, whoever they decide to put out there. But I just don't think Sidibe is quite ready. He had moments and I think he will provide some serious competition for Seamus probably over the next month or so. You'll start to see that matchup heat up would be what I would expect. But for now, I think Coleman's pretty safe uh, to come back into the side. I think it was probably good to get Coleman a rest before Saturday. Yeah, I, I think so too. And and the other thing for me is while Sidibe may be, well, let me rephrase that. Sidibe is better going forward. I feel pretty confident in saying that he is not as good defensively. I think that if you if you go read quite a bit of let's call them reviews, whether that's Reddit comments or tweets or whatever you have from Monaco fans, they'll say the same thing. And so with that, I think that we err on the side of caution and, and start our our first captain at right back for defensive stability. Now let's move into midfield. During the cup match, we had Fabian Delph, Tom Davies, and Alex Awobi in the midfield three. Now Tom Davies unless I'm forgetting maybe a very early substitution in in a very early match. I don't think I am. I think these were his first minutes this season. 
Now, Alex Iwobi has all, has gotten all of his minutes on the left-hand side up until this point. Fabian Delph has been playing when he's been fit. We know that Andre Gomez has been kind of day-to-day. Bamin is still out. Schneiderlin is healthy. So with that, who do you think is going to play? Well, let me, let me rephrase this. I want to ask you this. Who do you prefer to play in the midfield three against Man City this Saturday? For me, it's going to be Fabian Delph retaining his place. We're going to bring Sigurdsson back in. And I think in that third spot, I would hate to see Morgan Schneiderlin. I would honestly really like to see Tom Davies play. I do think it will be Schneiderlin just because we will need that defensive backbone to be strong with the amount that City will be attacking. But I, I, it would be a very bold, bold move from Marco Silva to play Fabian Delph as a true defensive midfielder and give Tom Davies the Andre Gomez bring the ball out type role. So I, I still think Schneiderlin will come in, but you asked me what I hope. I hope to see Delph, Davies, and Schneider and Sigurdsson rather, and we just go for it and we play, you know, play to win the game. We're not playing for one point. I think we we might as well. We have nothing to really lose. No one's expecting us to win, so why not just try and upset everyone's expectations? I'm actually a big fan of that. I think that's I think that's honestly a good approach. My only my only worry would be that Tom Davies comes in for his first start in the Premier League this season and we get obliterated and and he's just feeling even worse about, you know, playing or, or his confidence levels, or maybe it makes Marco Silva second guess it. So I like it. I'm gonna stick with that as well. But that's my only thought on on, on the whole Tom Davies situation. Now, let's talk about the forward line. And actually, if you don't mind, James, I'd like to go first in my preference. Go for it. So here's what I'll say. I want Richarlison to play on the left-hand side. Richarlison himself has said that he prefers to play striker. That's what he grew up playing. However, when we've played him on the left-hand side, specifically in the first half of last season, is when he performed the best, is when he contributed the most. When he plays on the left-hand side, he likes to cut in. He's more involved in driving into the box. When he plays on the right-hand side... How many times do we just watch him play the pass back to Seamus Coleman when he receives the ball? How many times, right? Just uh, innumerable. It's frustrating. In my opinion, we need to start with Charleston on the left-hand side where he's most comfortable, where we will get the most out of him. I want to play Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top because he just scored a brace last night, Tuesday, in the Carabao Cup. He scored in the Premier League, um, I think, I guess a week and a half ago at this point. And so with, with those two goals in my opinion, deserves to start up top. And then furthermore, on the right-hand side, I'm going to go with, honestly, I'm going to go with Alex Iwobi because he's right-footed on the left-hand side. He, he works well because he can cut into his right foot and he, li- he likes to send in an early cross and that sort of thing. And, and it works out well with Dean overlapping. However, again, in my opinion, we put Richarlison in his best position and shoehorn someone else on the right. And in, in, in this case, I think it's got to be Alex Iwobi. What do you think about that, James? I'm inclined to agree with you that I would like to see Richarlison on the left in an ideal world, but I do think that there's a reason that Richarlison has been the one chosen by Marco Silva to be shoehorned out on the right. And here's kind of what I think. I think, you know, this is going to probably make a lot of people's blood boil and get really upset with me, but I'm just using it for the purposes of the analogy. In the old FIFA games, when you would play someone in their natural position, they would have a higher rating than if you played them out of position. So for example, you could play Richarlison on the left and say he's an 85, which he's not in the new FIFA, by the way, which is ridiculous. But 
the point stands. So if he's a 85 on the left, maybe he's an 83 up top, maybe he's an 81 on the right. That's just arbitrary numbers that I'm throwing out. The point I'm trying to make is that I think if you move Alex Awobi or someone else who is not nearly as even footed or um, balanced in their play over to the right, you'll see even worse return on investment in that in that position. I think that Marco Silva, we know, I mean, ha- having seen Richarlison play in all three forward positions, we know that he can create no matter where he plays. And while he does create more on the left, I still kind of stand by a point that I've made in a previous show that with him on the right, I, I think he offers more from the right, even when shoehorned in, than someone like Alex Awobi, who has played there rarely, if ever. Um, and, and so that's kind of my take. It's unfortunate that we're in this position where we do have so many natural left wing players that we have to put someone out there, but that's just the fact fact of, of what's before us and we have to accept it. Maybe Marco Silva switches it up, but again, like I trust Marco Silva's judgment for now in what he's put forward so far. And maybe he'll throw a complete wild card out and maybe he will switch up the wings. And, and that's another actually a point that I'd like to make is that if we can integrate some fluidity into our front four, there's no reason that Richarlison can't in certain moments find himself on the left flank and able to drive forward and do what he does best. So I think there's a way to bring the best out of Richarlison without having to sacrifice a lot down the right-hand side. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I, 100% completely fair take. And I mean, the reason why I like talking to you, to you so much on this on this here recording, James, is because, you know, we are able to bring different perspectives, but still make sense in which a lot of, a lot of American fans, not even Everton fans, but a lot of even American Premier League fans, let me try to get that straight, you know, are, are very, are very knowledge less about it. So I, I do appreciate your point. I absolutely understand where you're coming from. However, I've already made mine, so I have to stick with it. Right, James? I can't, I can't say I'm wrong. No, agree to disagree, and maybe you'll be proven right on Saturday, and, and we'll see. But I do hope to see Alex Awobi and Richarlison on the wings, regardless of which side they're on. Okay, so you didn't mention your striker. So so I said Dominic Calvert-Lewin. What do you think? Yeah, it's Calvert-Lewin for me. You can't bench the young kid after just scoring a brace. And with Moise Keane looking pretty out of sorts against um, Sheffield United last weekend, I do think Calvert-Lewin's earned the nod. He's I mean, it's really his spot to lose, right? I think Marco Silva is hoping that Moise Keane can push him and kind of take the decision out of his hands by outplaying him. But so far, it hasn't happened. And so it's Calvert-Lewin. I think this is something that we mentioned pre-roll, but people f- might forget this. But the last few times we've played Manchester City, it has been Calvert-Lewin up top, and he's played very well. He's played remarkably well, even though he hasn't scored I think what he offers is his hold-up play and the ability to be an outlet for us to break the press. I think that's um, something that Moise Keane probably doesn't offer. And while on the counterattack, you might give the nod to Keane with the pace and the power and the ball at his feet, I think we're going to see a lot of long balls, unfortunately, being played up. And Calvert-Lewin's pressing on the back line of Manchester City will be key, as well as his hold-up play and his facilitation and getting other people in the front line involved. So for me, it's a clear choice for Calvert-Lewin as well. So we agree on that at least. And actually, those are really good points because I think it's easy forget to forget, especially when you're playing an opponent like Man City and and we have not had victories. But when you bring it up, Calvert-Lewin has 100% been one of these standout performers consistently in the last handful of fixtures. So with all those factors considered, 
I don't know anyone that can argue, anyone sane that could argue that Calvert-Lewin shouldn't start up top. All right, James, so let's wrap this up. I'll let you be the Debbie Downer first. What is your score prediction going to be for for Man City at Goodison Park this Saturday? I actually think there could be several goals in this game. I This is one of the few times that I'll predict a loss. I think maybe last season, this was the only game that I predicted an outright loss. I'm not going to change my position here. I still think City are a side that... M- Everyone, most teams, 99% of teams in world football should aspire to play like Pep Guardiola is a genius. They've got Mikel Arteta, who people have been calling for him to be appointed the next Everton manager. I think that's probably premature, but to the question that you asked, score prediction, I'm going to go 3-1 to Manchester City. Um, And I think it'll be an exciting game at the very least. I hope that we can show some moments that give us hope that this season isn't going to continue uh, to spiral downwards as we get into the holiday season. So I'm just I'm just looking to extract positives from this game without expecting any kind of points from it. What about you? Yeah, I'm not even gonna. I'm not. I'm honestly not gonna go with a scoreline prediction. I'm gonna say it's gonna be a loss. I hate being so negative about it because I'm still gonna tune in. Like, let's be honest. Hold on, I'm, hold on, hold on. You have to give a score prediction. That's the whole thing. You can't throw it to me first and then just cop opt out and not give a score prediction. You have to go on the record. This is the podcast that we created. You have to give a score prediction. You can't just predict the loss. All right. All right. All right. All right. I will go three, one to city. I, I, I don't see a way and I hope I'm, I hope I'm incorrect, but I don't see a way in which we don't ship multiple goals. However, I think that is, it is very possible that we could, we could nick one. So with that, I'm going to go three, one loss. The, the really, the key is going to be we're going to have to take our chances when we get them, which has not been a strong suit of ours for a good while now. But but that's going to be what it has to be. And that, and that that's even only to score the one goal in the 3-1, unfortunately. Well, I'm sorry that I had to you know yank that out of you and force you to go on record. But I mean, we picked the same scoreline. With the way things have been going with our score predictions, who knows? Maybe we'll win 4-0 and we'll get a repeat of several years ago when we were able to get that scoreline across the across the finish line. But it's all to play for on Saturday. Hopefully the boys are preparing on at Finch Farm getting ready. Um, we'll be with you guys after the, sh- after the game and we'll have some post-match reactions. Hopefully they're mostly positive. I think we're all going in with tempered expectations and – with tempered expectations, there's minimal reason to be let down. So, Alex, any last words? Up the toffees, nonetheless. Up the toffees. Thanks for listening, guys. Oh, one last thing. If you haven't joined our Discord, join our Discord. The link is on our Twitter. It's on our Facebook. If you need it, email us. It's a great community. A lot of good conversations going on in there. So join the Discord and up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.